Welcome to the intersection of faith and the culture. This is Wall Builders, where we're taking on the hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach, normally here with David and Tim Barton, but today we're going to bring you a presentation from the Wall Builders Pro Family Legislators Conference. We do that about once a year, and we bring new programs from it uh, during the holidays and usually into the first of the year because there's just so many good speakers that come in to share with these legislators, uh, legislators that actually share, which is one of the presentations we're going to bring you today, where they've, you know, basically either passed a good bill in their state or they're working on a good bill in their state or they're working on a particular policy. And it's not just for legislators. We, the people, need to know this. You need to be able, as our audience, to reach out to your state legislators and encourage them to adopt these, you know, uh, these programs, these policies, to take these positions and to understand why. And so today we're going to bring you a presentation from just a few weeks ago. Uh, at the Legislators Conference from a guy named Ken Ivory. He's a state legislator in Utah and uh, has passed a lot of great legislation there, been a real leader for the country, very involved with uh, a lot of what we do at Wall Builders at Patriot Academy and getting people through Constitution classes, all kinds of things. But he had a chance to speak at the Legislators Conference. We want to bring that to you. Let's head out to the Legislators Conference right now. This is State Representative Ken Ivory of Utah. There's one particular thing that we haven't talked about, incredible, serious problem of the most serious problems that we have in our nation that we need to deal with. And so I'd like to introduce you to one of the problems we've got to deal with immediately. This is the problem of two-year-olds. I've got my two-year-old grandson that lives about 10 minutes north of here. And if you know two-year-olds, my two-year-old grandson gets up at two o'clock in the morning, he roams the house, and then he climbs the pantry. And this is what my daughter finds in the morning. And when she finds him, he goes, don't see me. Don't see me. Because you see, two-year-olds are just like government. They're just like government because you know you love them. You can't do without them. But if you don't keep an eye on them all the time, they're going to get in trouble. And we got government getting in trouble that we have to keep an eye on. And it's only the states that can do this to deal with the problems that we've got. Now, we know some of the other truths. We know the truths about two-year-olds in government. We also know that uh, we can't be happy without being free. We can't be free without property. And we can't be happy and free if our property can be taken away by government. Government's been after our property for a long time. There's been a movement in 1992, right? No moo in 92 and cattle free in 93. Leave it in the ground was then the next movement. In Utah, when Hillary Clinton said, leave it in the ground is a done deal, we had our legislative fiscal analysts look at that. They said that would have cost us 93,000 jobs $11 billion reduction to state GDP. Well, then, of course, we also know that we've got issues with energy. I was actually in Dallas, Texas, built a three-foot-tall snowman with my granddaughter in Dallas, Texas. Never thought that would ever happen. But in the state that is the largest oil and gas producer in the nation, they were without energy for an entire week. Where is this coming from? We've got a group that is now pushing 30 by 30, right, to lock up 30% of all land and water by 2030, and they openly admit that it's really 50 by 50. They want to lock up 50% of all land and water by 2050. And if you look back where this is coming from, there's a website, it's still up, still live today, climatepresident.org. This group, led by the Center for Biological Diversity, December 16th of 2020, met with President-elect Biden, and they said, these are the 10 things you're going to do as president. And they laid them out. And these are some of the people in your states that are all working with this climate president action plan. There's a, a few of them there. These are the 10 things that they said. They said, you'll declare a climate emergency. You use the Clean Air Act to uh, 
cap all greenhouse gases, drive emissions towards zero, launch a just transition, make polluters pay, advance climate justice, keep fossil fuels in the ground, stop fossil fuel exports, uh, infrastructure approval, shift financial flows from fossil fuels, 100% clean and renewable energy by 2030, and join the Paris Climate Accord. About eight of those, eight and a half of those have already been done, but this is the list they're working on. Now, President Biden, one of his first substantive executive orders was 14008, tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad. Right in there, we're going to lock up 30% of land and water by 2030. We're going to have a carbon pollution fleet, electricity sector, and uh, get this clean zero emission vehicles for federal, state, local and tribal. Did you know that you were ordered that you're going to have clean emission vehicles by presidential order? I'm going to pause all oil and gas leases and jack the royalties through the roof. That's already been happening. And then in May of 2021 was executive order 14030. In this executive order, this is the climate related financial risks. In this one, it's going to, it requires the social cost of greenhouse gas for all procurement decisions. Uh, give preference to bid proposals for the suppliers with the lowest cost of greenhouse gas, and then give preference in all underwriting decisions for climate-related risks. So loans, Fannie, Freddie, uh, FEMA. I mean, Fannie, Freddie is, what, 70% of the mortgage market. you got to take preference to the financial-related climate risk. I've always got to interrupt just for a second, taking a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Wall Builders. Hey, this is Tim Barton with Wall Builders. And as you've had the opportunity to listen to Wall Builders Live, you've probably heard the wealth of information about our nation, about our spiritual heritage, about the religious liberties, about all the things that makes America exceptional. And you might be thinking, as incredible as this information is, I wish there was a way that I could get one of the Wall Builders guys to come to my area and share with my group, whether it be a church, whether it be a Christian school or public school or some political event or activity. If you're interested in having a Wall Builder speaker come to your area, you can get on our website at www.wallbuilders.com and there's a tab for scheduling. And if you'll click on that tab, you'll notice there's a list of information from speakers' bios to events that are already going on. And there's a section where you can request an event to bring this information about who we are, where we came from, our religious liberties and freedoms. Go to the Wall Builders website and bring a speaker to your area. This is Tim Barton from Wall Builders with another moment from American history. Alexis de Tocqueville, a political official from France, traveled to the United States in 1831 and penned his observations in the now famous book, Democracy in America. Being from France, what he found in America was completely unexpected to him. He reported, upon my arrival in the United States, the religious aspect of the country was the first thing that struck my attention. And the longer I stayed there, the more I perceived the great political consequences resulting from this. In France, I'd almost always seen the spirit of religion and the spirit of freedom marching in opposite directions. But in America, I found that they were intimately united and that they reigned in common over the same country. De Tocqueville recognized that it was biblical Christianity and the morals it produced that made America great. For more information about Alexis de Tocqueville and the positive influence of Christianity in early America, go to wallbuilders.com. Welcome back to Wall Builders. We're in the middle of a presentation from Ken Ivory, state representative from Utah, speaking at the Pro-Family Legislators Conference. Let's jump right back in. Now, the federal government tells us that 
to do this and make this happen, they have an offer we can't refuse because they say they're the world's largest purchaser of goods and services. So they're going to use that power as a tool to strategically shape the markets. Back in 14008, they said they're going to create a civilian climate core. Uh, they want to get up to 300,020 somethings to proselytize decarbonization. And then this is the best part. This is going to be a government-wide, whole-of-government agenda. So every single government agency, every single government agency has their decarbonization plan, their 30 by 30 plan, and their environmental justice plan with benchmarks, key performance indicators, timelines all along the way. So what we see, the, the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission, for example, they came out with their rule, their, their rule on the 30 by 30 and the climate-related risks that uh, the climate-related financial disclosures that every publicly traded company has to disclose their climate-related financial risks, but not just the publicly traded company, their suppliers and the suppliers of their suppliers. And that's virtually every company in America that discloses their greenhouse gas levels to the Securities and Exchange Commission. On the heels of this, the New York Stock Exchange got into the act, and they began offering a new type of company called a natural asset company. Now, natural asset company is a new type of ESG investment. Uh, it's also been sanctioned by the World Bank and the, and the World Economic Forum. They don't want to miss out on the act, right? Now, what a natural asset company is, is you find an environmental asset, you lock up the rights to it, you do an initial public offering, and then you sell the environmental services. They've estimated that, well, like they said here, this is the, uh, the largest land grab in history, and what it amounts to then is the commoditization, the financialization of nature. Now, what they, they estimate on this, I mean, get this, they estimate this is a $4,000 trillion market. $4 quadrillion dollar market. It's always about the money. They say it's about the land, the water, the air. It's always about the money. As it says here, new feeding ground for uh, predatory Wall Street banks and financial institutions. So the Biden administration then immediately, they did their U.S. system to account for the natural assets and to quantify the immense value that uh, this natural capital provides. Imagine a government that's $34 trillion in debt, that's now the interest is a trillion dollars a year, that they're looking for everything in the sofa cushions and all of the, the land that's hanging around, they're finding a way to financialize this. On the heels of this then, the uh, Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland, they rolled out something called the uh, Conservation Leasing Program. And to give you an idea of where this came from and why it matters, in the western states, those of us that are in the western states, we've got 50% of the land west of the Rockies is controlled by the federal government. Utah's 65%, Alaska's about 63%, Wyoming's about, what, 43%, and uh, Nevada, right, 85% in Nevada, controlled by the federal government. Same terms of statehood for the land to be disposed of by the federal government. They just didn't get around to it. So by 1976, they said, we got a deal for you. We know you want title, but we're going to give you, for the taxes you're missing out on, we'll give you something called payment in lieu of taxes, right? In the West, we call it pennies in lieu of trillions, right? Pilt. And then instead of title, they said, this is going to be great. We'll give you multiple use sustained yield. We just promise you're going to get to use the land like you would if you had title. Your timber people will, you know, they'll still be able to deal with the trees and the ranchers and the miners. Multiple use sustained yield. 
until this rule comes out. Conservation leasing rule now then makes non-use a use. So where it was promised this land would always be highest and best use, multiple use, you get to use the timber, the, the grazing, everything that's out there. Under this rule, it's now everything is shut down. And all of those promises about pilt and about multiple use and sustained yield, they go away, never mind the Constitution, never mind the Enabling Act agreements of the states, never mind even the 1976 Act when they said, we're going to, instead of title, we're going to give you multiple use, sustained yield, and payments in lieu of taxes. we got a rule. We've got a rule here that doesn't even have an, an environmental impact statement, doesn't even have an economic analysis. They're just rolling out the rule, the conservation leasing program, so they can now lease the environmental assets to their NGO buddies so that they have the environmental services to do the natural asset company, to do the IPO, so they can sell the environmental services. Well, who needs environmental services? All of those people that are going to transact business in any way with the federal government who have a social cost of greenhouse gas that may not be appropriate are in need of environmental services so that they can now trade with the world's largest purchaser of goods and services. See how this all works? The four quadrillion dollar market. Here you got Senator Brasso says the secretary is making a non-use of use turning federal law on its head. You get uh, Secretary Yellen is more than happy to get into the act. They've got the net zero uh, financing and investing principles. This was just yesterday. Senator Ricketts from uh, Nebraska and then Senator Crapo and uh, Rish from Idaho talking about the uh, SEC bringing out the rules. They said the SEC, are, they were just talking about it, but they've now proposed the actual rules. And they said, what does the SEC know about managing land and water? But they're now getting into the land and water business and they're having corporations now locking up financial assets into the land and water and uh, taking what would be preservationist only policies instead of the multiple use sustained yield. Worse than that yet is it's open then to all sorts of uh, foreign investors that would now be coming in and locking up the environmental assets so that they can do the IPO and sell the environmental services to those that don't quite have the right social cost of greenhouse gas. This whole of government situation is like a federal army. They've weaponized every single agency of the federal government, and they've sent them out to proselytize your state agencies and your local government. This was our, uh, this was our transportation interim committee just a couple of weeks ago. We get into the transportation interim committee, and we, we had a bill that was supposed to be a plan to, to look into the feasibility if we were going to electrify the transportation infrastructure. What would it take? What would it cost? Is it even feasible? Well, when they report to our committee, they, uh, they step up and they said, you know, we've just got to move so fast. It's been decided, and so we don't have time to do other feasibility, and it's been decided, and the decision's been made, and we just have to move. And, uh, of course, we've got a plan for the equity and the environmental justice. And we say, hey, well, hang on just a second. What is that environmental justice thing in there? They said, well, we, we don't really know. Well, why is it in there? Well, we've got to have it in there so we can get the federal money. Well, what do you think that the federal people think that that means? Well, we don't know. Well, don't you think we ought to figure that out before we start moving forward? They said, no, 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 it's just been decided. It's been decided at the federal level that they're telling the people at the states, we just have to move forward. Next up on the agenda was our transportation uh, department, Utah Department of Transportation, and they were so excited that we're now going to be putting 
charging stations every 50 miles for the EVs for the less than 1% of vehicles in Utah that are EVs. So we've got a federal government that is subsidizing the manufacture of electric vehicles, subsidizing the purchase of electric vehicles, and then subsidizing the charging of electric vehicles that, by the way, when we ask them, how will the EV charging stations be powered? They'll be powered by the coal-fired power stations that the EPA has ordered us to shut down by 2026. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, I'm telling you. So now, then back to that order. Remember, 14008, that we've got the, uh, the uh, Civilian Climate Corps. They just went live on that, that they announced the first 20,000, 20-somethings that will be coming out. Imagine our surprise when they say that Utah joined California in the uh, Civilian Climate Corps, the 20-somethings that are going to come out and proselytize the uh, decarbonization. We asked about it, and they're just it's just the agencies. The agencies are going off of what the federal government is telling them. We put a stop to it, but that's where they're going. They intend to get to 300,000, so now we're at the point that you're going to start hearing more and more about the uh, declaring the national climate emergency, because what happens in their legal plan, if you go to that climatepresident.org, in their legal analysis, they'll say, once you've invoked the Defense Production Act, which President Biden's already done and then put on the shelf, and then declare a climate emergency that President Biden then has 130 unilateral powers and control of the defense budget to move forward on the climate plans that he's looking for. So you're going to hear more and more about that. But on this plan, this is President Biden as a candidate reading from this climate president script. Guide rails down now. So between the years 2021 and 2030, it's irreversible, the path we've set ourselves on. And one of which is doing away with any subsidies for fossil fuels, number one. Number two, holding them liable for what they have done, particularly in those cases where you're underserved neighborhoods and you, you know the deal, okay? And by the way, when they don't or when they're deliberate, put them in jail. That's what I, I, I'm not joking about this. I'm not joking about this. Not joking about this, right? You know the deal. I'm not joking about this. They're going to use the tobacco, opioid, uh, uh, asbestos to criminalize anyone in the chain of fossil fuel. They've got their scorecards. They've got the offices of environmental justice. They've got their comprehensive enforcement plan. They've received input from the environmental justice advocates so they know what the civil and criminal crimes are going to be. All right, folks, hold on one more break. Stay with us. We'll be right back on Wall Builders. Hey guys, we want to let you know about a new resource we have at Wall Builders called The American Story. For so many years, people have asked us to do a history book to help tell more of the story that's just not known or not told today. And we would say very providentially, in the midst of all of the new attacks coming out against America, whether it be from things like the 1619 Project that say America is evil and everything in America was built off slavery, which is certainly not true, or things like even the Black Lives Matter movement, the organization itself, not, not the statement Black Lives Matter, but the organization that says we're against everything that America was built on and this is part of the Marxist ideology. There's so many things attacking America. Well, is America worth defending? Well, what is a true story of America? We actually have written and told that story, starting with Christopher Columbus, going roughly through Abraham Lincoln. We tell the story of America, not as the story of a perfect nation or a perfect people, but the story of how God used these imperfect people and did great things through this nation. It's a story you want to check out. Wallbuilders.com, The American Story.
Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us here on Wobblers today. Ken Ivory speaking at the Pro-Family Legislators Conference is what we're bringing you today. We'll jump right back into that. Here's Ken Ivory at the Pro-Family Legislators Conference. They're actually moving to have ecocide be a crime against humanity along with genocide in the International Criminal Court. You know ecocide, right? That's clothes and food and textiles and cement, right? Fishing, farming, ranching, ecocide as a crime against humanity. So this is our energy plan and our transportation plan. In the breakout that we're going to have this afternoon right after this, we're going to talk in depth about jurisdiction. The jurisdiction of the state. James Madison said, if there's an unwarrantable measure of the federal government that's unpopular in any particular state, I don't know if this is unpopular to any of you all, it is in Utah. If any of this is unpopular, the means of opposition are powerful and at hand. In 1950, there was a uh, large VA complex in a state in, I believe it was Ohio, and the city provided, they provided power, water, sewer, all the rest to the VA compound, but they weren't paying taxes. And so all of a sudden the, the city said, you can't, you can't come to our schools. Went all the way up to President Eisenhower. He ordered a two-volume study of jurisdiction over federal areas in the states. We're going to talk about this in the breakout. Long and short of it, by the federal government's own studies, they have very little jurisdiction over the federal areas that they have in the states. Utah, 65% federally controlled, 1% jurisdiction by their own studies. The most critical thing, we had this updated. We asked our members of Congress if there was any update to that. They said that's the last state, statement on jurisdiction. But the Supreme Court has not been silent on this. They said our cases refer to this general power of governing possessed by the states but not the federal government as the police power. The police power is the power to govern health, safety, welfare, morals. We used that in the bill that we passed uh, in the uh, West Virginia versus EPA case. They referred to that and said the regulation of utilities is at the very heart of the police power. So in the bill that we passed this year, the energy security bill, we referenced that the police power, energy is at the heart of protecting the health, safety, welfare of people in Utah, that uh, we have primacy constitutionally to regulate energy, and we're not going to recognize federal edicts that shut down coal-fired power that help us protect health, safety, welfare. We'll talk more about this in the breakout session. We've got more coming in how we use that police power jurisdiction. But I'll just close with this. Justice Roberts gets a bad rap. He says, but I think what he was laying out in that Obamacare case, he was looking to the states and telling us there's no way that we can decide every single issue that may come up. When it looks to jurisdiction, you've got so many things that are out there. You've got to take responsibility. And he says, in the typical case, we look to the states to defend their prerogatives by adopting the simple expedient of not yielding to federal blandishments. I had to look that word up. They don't teach that in law school. It means coaxing, coercing, cajoling. Not yielding to federal blandishments when they do not want to embrace federal policies as their own. And here's the punchline. States are separate and independent sovereigns. Sometimes they have to act like it. All right, folks, what you've been listening to is one of the speakers at our Pro-Family Legislators Conference, which, by the way, if you want to send your legislator to the conference next year, go ahead and start making plans, send them links to the website, and, and take this program even and say, hey, you'll hear from speakers like, like Ken Ivory and David Barton and Glenn Beck and all these other folks. I, I'm telling you, as a former legislator, there's something about getting together with the good guys and gals from across the nation, because too often, even in your own legislature, you might have a handful of people that are fighting for biblical principles, fighting for good constitutional jurisdictions. Uh, but most of the people in that arena 
because of our poor civics, because we stopped teaching civics, we stopped teaching biblical worldview, most of the people that are serving in those offices don't have that foundation. So when you start talking about those things, they don't, they're like their eyes glaze over. So there's something special about coming together with other legislators from across the country that do share that worldview and, and want to do a better job at being not only a good biblical citizen, but a good biblical citizen leader in the state legislatures. And that's why the Pro-Family Legislators Conference has been uh, such a great event once a year, uh, such a great time for these legislators to come together. I think we're in, I don't know, our 15th year of doing this. And uh, it's just been a real blessing. I remember, you know, when we first started talking about doing this, I hadn't, I think I'd only been with Wall Bowlers for, I don't know, maybe three or four years. And I was out of the legislature and um, I don't even remember where we were, but we were driving somewhere. And David and I were t- just talking about the need for that iron sharpening iron, you know, where you're really sharpening each other's countenance and it's like-minded folks that are going to help get you better grounded. And too often these other gatherings of legislators, it ends up being run by lobbyists and run by people that uh, have an agenda that's usually not based on uh, biblical principles and, and constitutional jurisdictions. And so we decided, hey, let's just do our own thing. And and, and I, I can't tell you how many people, at, even at that point, and this was what, 2004, 2005, somewhere around there, even at that point, how many people I would run into across the nation that were serving in state legislatures or Congress or some local office that would say, Oh, you're with wall builders. I did this because I read David Barton's book, Original Intent, or because I saw David Barton speak. And so even then, we, I just knew there was a lot of people out there that that had gotten involved in the movement because of what wall builders had been doing. And, and by having our own legislative conference, people would want to attend. And and this this last year was the biggest one we've ever had by far. I mean, it was a packed house, a lot of reps and senators and and other elected officials, their spouses and just great speakers. And it was it was phenomenal, man. We had a great, great time. And we've already brought you a couple of presentations. Uh, Tim Brooks, of course, always does our dinners and just fantastic pastor out of Hot Springs, Arkansas with great messages. And we'll be bringing you a few more and and just take advantage of that. Uh, you know, you're not if you're not a legislator and you're listening, you don't get to go to the conference, but you get to hear some of these great speakers and share it with your friends and family. It's one of the most important things you can do when you listen to The Wall Builder Show is share it. Be a force multiplier. Help us spread the good news. Let's do our part. Going into 2024, let's make sure that we're ready and able to do our part to preserve the torch of freedom and pass it on to future generations. Looking forward to 2024 with you. Hope you enjoyed this program. You've been listening to Wall Builders. <laughs>